Hello, you found me at episode 98. It's been a challenging year, especially upstairs, and by that I mean the giant piece of tofu that sits between your ears. Mental health problems and even suicide is up this year approximately 25-35% to globally. And on today's show, we have a discussion with a suicide survivor that had a long history of problematic medical and pharmaceutical treatments but found her own way to recovery through taking control of her perspective, her nutrition and fitness. And so if you're having a challenging time right now or maybe you want to understand how someone in your inner circle is feeling then listen on in because this episode has some really great insight to how one might be feeling or experiencing the events of the world right now. And not just right now, but any time that these challenges can come up for people. Let's jump into the episode. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Great to be hanging out with you here on the show. It is my mission to coach 150 individuals to create a sustainable, healthy lifestyle that they truly want before December 2020. I tell you what, it has been a very cold winter over here in Australia, especially being stuck inside for the entire time with these misguided lockdowns. But I have personally been focusing on my fitness routine, which often is one of the things that gets missed in the hecticness of normal life. Not that I really remember what normal life is, but (laughs) I've also been recording more podcast interviews. And speaking of, joining me on the potty today is Amanda Webster, whom is a fitness model and certified wellness coach who overcame depression on her own terms after years of being guinea-pigged on antidepressants, losing her parents and succumbing to addiction and self-harm, which scarily led her to a ledge in a Canadian hotel room where she almost took her own life. After a year and a half of self-discovery and making healthy changes in her life, Amanda was de-certified as having a serious mental illness by the exact medical professionals that told her it was not possible to reverse such a chronic mental health condition. And we, of course, love anecdotes and evidence of that uh, kind of thing happening here on the show. Now she, is a passion- she, now she is passionate about helping others who struggle to find balance and live their most fulfilling lives by sharing the steps she took to being happier than she ever thought possible. So great to have you here, Amanda. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. I'm, I'm a little confused though. What is this normal that you speak of? I don't, <laughs> I don't use that word in my vocabulary. I'm, I guess I'm unfamiliar with it. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm totally unfamiliar with it. I don't even remember what normal life is. <laughs> I think it involves sunlight and grass, if I remember. That green stuff outside, maybe. Yeah. It's a distant memory, but I do remember being able to behave in a healthy way once upon a time. <laughs> many, many moons ago. Well, hopefully the future is a bit brighter, fingers crossed, once we get out of this weird once in a lifetime scenario. Hopefully once in a lifetime say, scenario. Hopefully once in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, you and I are both young enough to be able to say hopefully once in a lifetime. <laughs> um so based on your based on the intro that I just shared with everyone, it sounds like the past was a pretty heavy one and that you've leveraged that experience to sort of launch yourself into a healthier and happier place. But I'd love it if you could sort of set the scene for the listeners and share some of the challenges you had being guinea pigged on antidepressants. What exactly do you mean by that? And what was your experience? 
Well, I had started exhibiting signs of depression at a fairly young age, probably by fifth grade or so. And when my parents finally took me to a mental health professional, to a therapist, immediately their response is, okay, let's get our medication. Let's, let's start medication. And my parents were pretty opposed to putting me on medication that young. And I don't remember if at the time um, anything was tried, but I remember the first time uh, I, I started taking medication was when I was 16. And they, they gave me a, a pretty low dose because obviously I was young and this was my first time as far as I can remember taking prescription medication. And the side effects were just so incredibly horrible that I couldn't take it. I, I could not bring myself to keep taking it. Like I'd lay on the floor. I couldn't breathe. I would think I was dying. I felt very dissociated. I felt very out of it. It was just like everything was a hallucination. It was really terrifying. Uh, I, I, my chest hurt. My heart raced. Basically, it was just, and I realize now in retrospect, it was incredibly intense panic attacks accompanied with hallucinations and stuff. And when I told my mental health professional what was going on, their response is, well, you need to give the medications a couple of weeks to, to set into your body. And I'm sitting there going, did you not hear the part about me laying on my bedroom floor screaming for my mother at 16 years old because I thought I was dying? <laughs> did you miss that part? Did you just kind of like hallucinate and zone out for a minute? And this continued where eventually they would switch the medication because I just absolutely refused to take it anymore. So they switched the medication and they put me on kids' doses. They put me on the lowest doses they possibly could. They would switch the brands. And in the course of a decade, I was on like at least 17, 18 different brands of anti, like every, everything that hit the market, they tried me on. Every antidepressant, wow. antipsychotic, anti anxiety. They tried me on sleep meds. They tried me on so many different things. And the actual best case scenario I had was. I, I don't remember. I think it was Prozac, but I would feel, I didn't even feel numb. That would have been a, a step up. I still felt everything, but I couldn't outwardly express it. It's like, I couldn't cry. I couldn't yell. I couldn't emote in any way. Yeah. So I still felt everything inside of me. I still felt the pain and the loneliness and desolation and the desperation, but I couldn't express it. Yeah. So I, I, I couldn't really find the words. I couldn't physically show emotions. And that was horrifying because it was like being trapped in your own body. Yeah, of it's course. like being trapped in your own head and not being able to tell anyone, hey, this is what's going on and I'm scared. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really, really full on. And so, would you say that you your symptoms were exacerbated by being on medication? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it didn't matter what kind they put me on or what dose. Yeah. The symptoms became much, much worse. And when I tried to tell a therapist, look, medication isn't working for me. Can we try something else? Can we go another route? I was literally kicked out of several uh, depression support groups because I didn't take medication. And that made other people there uncomfortable because they'd say, well, I thought we were here to be motivated to take our medication daily and, and whatnot. So I was kicked out of a couple of depression support groups and I had multiple therapists say, well, we don't really know what to do with you because I, the interesting thing about it was, is I was always very hyper aware. Like I knew how I felt, what was going on. I did the things they told me to do as far as, well, are, are you journaling? Are you, you know, they, they'd always suggest things like that. Or I, I was suggested a few 
uh, different groups. Like I went through DBT training. Uh, I always did what I was told, you know, and I was always very hyper aware to say when I needed, you know, help or when my thoughts were getting very dark and stuff. I had no problem being open to my professionals, but it was literally just, well, if you're not going to take medication, there's not really a whole lot we can do for you. I mean, you can, you can come in and talk to us for an hour, but that's pretty much all we have to offer. And I mean, I can do that with my friends. I can go and vent to a friend for an hour, or call some random, you know, hotline or something. I don't know. But I, I just felt like that never really made any, any progress. I never made any progress with that. And I will say that the the DBT skills were helpful. Like that did give me you know, something tangible to focus on and things that I could develop. That was, that was helpful, but it didn't, it wasn't enough to pull me out of the depression, out of the darkness. And I, I didn't remember a time that I'd actually been happy. That was scary. Yeah, that is scary. I think that's part of the thing that drove me to that ledge was because I got to the point, not only was life overwhelming, but it's not like I had a reference point to say, okay, I felt this way at one point and maybe one day I'll feel like that again. It was just, I felt like I was in this all consuming black hole and that's all I'd ever known as far back as I can remember. That's all I ever knew. Yeah, that sounds really horrible. And I'm glad you're still here to tell the tale though. That's uh, one positive out of all of that. But I'm curious how you felt like, Obviously, those meds were, you know, not working for you and the Western medical approach to it really didn't have enough tools in its arsenal to, to give you the answer. So, what happened when you started to, when you decided, like, I'm no longer going down this path? With the medication? Yeah. I felt human. And I realized that, yes, I'd felt depression. I'd felt the sadness. I'd felt the crying. I'd felt the overwhelm. I'd felt all of these feelings. But I'd been kind of shamed about the feelings. Like people tell me, I, right after my mom died, I was told that I needed to go on prescription medication again because I wasn't handling well. And admittedly, I was not handling my mom's death well. It was very unexpected. And I was told that I needed to be on medication. And even at the time, I'm thinking, what if all I need is to grieve my freaking mom? Yeah. What if I need to cry? What if I need to spiral out of control? It's not like I was doing anything particularly harmful, at least that the, that the therapist knew about at the time, I did end up getting into um, some pretty dark coping mechanisms at the time. But as far as the therapist knew, I was just struggling to hold a job. I was struggling to have a functional life at the time. But at the end of the day, my whole world had fallen apart. Like the only yep. person that was there for me, I didn't have any siblings. My dad had passed two years earlier. My friends were a million miles away. So I didn't really have anyone else. And I was in a new city where everything was, uh, was unfamiliar to me. And instead of saying, hey, this is probably a normal reaction to a really overwhelming, scary, crappy situation. It's like, well, here, take some medication and shut up about it. And that's, I guess, when I finally started realizing that those people didn't really have... I don't want to say my best interest in heart. I don't, I don't think that what they, their treatment was malicious but I was I never felt human. I never felt like I was a person. I felt like I was broken. Yeah. I felt like something was wrong with me. And when I when I finally said enough, I'm not going to do this anymore and I I really just refused to try continue trying medications. I think that's the first time that I really stepped into my humanity. I stepped into my power. It was it was my first step. Let me let me backtrack. It was my first step into my power because I realized 
this isn't serving me. It's never going to serve me. This isn't the path that's going to lead me out of this darkness. And I'm tired of other people telling me who I am, what I need, what's going to help me and not listening to me. I felt when I, when I started talking to other people, I felt heard. I felt like, okay, there are other people that have gone through this, that struggled through this, that have got through this. And that was really important to me because the scariest part of going through that process was feeling like nobody was listening to me. And that even, that made me more desperate. So here I am, I'm like, I'm coming to your office. I'm doing what you're asking me to do. I'm really trying. I'm making the effort, but you're not hearing me when I'm saying that what you're giving me isn't working. It's not working for me. And ironically, I felt more in control, even though I was out of control. Uh, admittedly, I was, I was very out of control uh, emotionally at this time. I still felt more in control being depressed and struggling through these emotions than I felt on the medications. And I know that that's not true for, for everyone. I know a lot of people do uh, find control over their life, over their emotions to a certain degree with these medications. But I've never met someone that took medications and could honestly say they were happy. They might be able to say that they were in control of their emotions now, that they didn't cry or hurt anymore, but I've never met anyone that was on prescription medication and because of that prescription medication felt happy and fulfilled. They could function. And that was something that really bothered me that, you know, medication can be a piece of the puzzle for some people. Absolutely, it can be. But medication is never going to create happiness. It might create that control, but it's never going to create that happiness. Yeah, wow. When I came back from from Canada, um, after nearly taking my life, I did go to a mental health professional because I just almost uh, committed suicide. I was, I was feeling very scared and I didn't really know what to do at the time. I just knew that I had to take control. I knew that I needed to make some changes. So I went to a mental health professional and I said, look, I'm tired of being just safe. I'm tired of waking up in the morning and thinking, ugh, this shit again, or ugh, I have to, I have to get through another day. I wanted to wake up in the morning and look forward to another day and another opportunity and another adventure. I wanted to see my life like that. And I said, you know, I want to be happy. I'm, I'm tired of everybody just focusing on my safety and making sure that I'm not going to kill myself on your watch because that's what I feel like it always had been is, well, we're going to keep you safe. They actually locked me up after my mom passed away. They tried to put me on a 72-hour hold uh, because they thought I was a danger to myself uh, because as I was being pulled away from my mom's body, I said, I feel like I have nothing left to live for. Mm-hmm. And because they're like, oh, well, she said this and she might be a risk to herself, even though I could very clearly say, look, I need to go home and take care of my affairs. I'm not going to harm myself. I said this in a state of shock, in a state of panic. They're like, well, no, we can't take that risk. So clearly it was they didn't want to risk, you know, me doing something and them being responsible for it. But her telling me, she, she ended up telling me this professional after I came back from Canada ended up telling me that's not possible with your condition and your diagnosis. That's not possible. Right. You can live a functional life, but you'll never really be happy. Yeah. Just, just. Everybody let that sink in for a second. I had a mental health professional straight out tell me less than 48 hours after I nearly jumped off a ledge in a Canadian hotel room that I was never going to be happy. It doesn't sound like the best response. 
And what if I hadn't been inspired by that? Because for me, that was, I have that very much screw you. I'm going to prove you wrong mentality. I can relate. Somebody tells me I can't do something. Well, now I'm going to do it twice and take pictures. (laughs) So that, I think that was part of what really lit the fire under me. I already had the motivation from the hotel room and from getting that sign Uh, for anybody that doesn't know my story. What brought me down was a song playing in the right place at the right time. And that brought me down and that made me feel yeah okay. It made me feel like there was something that wanted me to, to keep being here, but I didn't know what to do. And I didn't really have much energy <laughs> left. But oh, man, her telling me that was just the fire I needed lit under me to, to really start seriously looking, to start seriously looking into myself to really promise myself. And I promised myself after um, that conversation that I was going to give it my all for one year. Yep. For one year, I was really going to go on this journey. I was going to get a very, give it everything I had as far as the nutrition, the exercise. I was going to commit to everything I've ever been told, like everything I'd learned in school. Uh, Cause I went to school for holistic nutrition uh, and I majored as a mind body wellness coach. It's like, okay, I'm gonna put all this, all this, in practice. And if after that year, I still feel this bad, I'm going to jump because I can't live like this forever, but I'm going to give myself a year. And it, I think it really was that woman's uh, words that, that inspired me. But what if they hadn't? What if I was still in that mind state when I told her that? What if I was still in the mind state that I was when I was on that ledge? Because I didn't really tell her the whole story. I just said, this is where I was a couple days ago, and this is where I want to be. Can you help me? And in retrospect, pardon my, my, my French here, but how fucking dare she tell somebody who came to her and trusted her? I trusted her to help me. I trusted this, this professional, quote unquote, to guide me through what I was going through. Like, how fucking dare her tell me that I couldn't do it, that I couldn't do something. And I hope that she somehow one day listens to this interview because I did what I set out to do and I proved her wrong. Well, and the positive perspective on that could be that if she didn't say that to you, would you have made the choices you made? That's, that's, there's so many like variables there. I really do. I do look back in gratitude and say, Hey, was this a crappy thing to say? Yes. Was it wrong and unprofessional? Yes. Do I hope she never says that to another person ever again? God, yes. But it was what I needed at the time. It it, it really inspired me and it was what I needed as part of my journey. So I don't hate her. I don't resent her. I don't you know, wish badly upon her or anything, but I really hope that she never says that to another person. And I, I, I did, um, I did have another appointment with her fairly recently, a few months ago, where I just went back and said, you know what? I proved you wrong. And I told her because she, um, she refused to reevaluate me as having an SMI. And I had to go through like a year of fighting to get reevaluated. And I think it was the most amazing moment of my life, other than having my child, (laughs) (laughs) Um, that she had to look me in the eye and say, you're right. You don't have the criteria anymore to be considered SMI. And she put through uh, her statement and the paperwork and stuff to begin the decertification process. And I, I have 
officially received May decertification, but it's very rare that you get to have that gratification of when you prove somebody wrong, you can face them and say, ha, <laughs> you know, but I, I got that with her and I wasn't, I wasn't quite that, uh, that out there about it, but I, I definitely, I did. I, I looked at her and said, you were wrong. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah. Well, I think that I think you've brought up a lot of different things, particularly the limitations with the Western medical, you know, pharmaceutical approach. And when you don't fit into their pigeonhole, they think that there's nothing that can be done. But it's just the way we've been cultured to look at medicine and health problems as you know the one. It must be a it must be a lack of drugs. That must be the yes. reason you've got this problem with your body. Like cancer must be a lack of chemotherapy. You know, um, and when it doesn't fit into that pigeonhole, it's um it's you know there's nothing. They can do, but fortunately, there's a lot of different uh, modalities that have been around for a very long time that are, are helpful. And I think it, you, the path you went down, you know, with nutrition and fitness was potentially a big part of that resolution. So I'm, I'm curious to learn the place that good nutrition and, and fitness played in your recovery. Well, truthfully, I kind of had to change just about everything about the way I was living because I like to say I was eating the organic standard American diet. <laughs> so I had went to school, like I said, to be a holistic nutritionist. So I knew that certain foods were bad. You know, I, I knew not to eat cake or, or junk food because I, I kind of cherry picked the things that I'd learned at, at, at college. I kind of cherry picked the things that I wanted to listen to that would fit my narrative that would still allow me to eat cupcakes and macaroni and, and just absolute garbage. So I was eating, you know, these, these things because, oh, well, they're vegan and organic. So they're okay. It's okay. And all the other things I learned about, well, you know, sodium can cause anxiety and these things can cause inflammation in the gut, which can cause anxiety through uh, sending electric pulses through the, the vagus nerve and up into the brain. These things are going to affect you if, if you're eating them and you're not, you're not taking care of your body. I ignored all that because I wanted my freaking macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> and it really took a complete and utter 
overhaul because when you're depressed, what do you want to do? You want to emotionally eat. You want to comfort yourself. And we've been kind of indoctrinated that food is comfort that, you know, if you get out of a relationship, you eat a pint of ice cream. If you're feeling upset or depressed to go drink some, some wine or have a beer or, you know, eat your, your pasta. There's such a, a crazy narrative around how we're supposed to eat for comfort. And one of the, the modules in my, my happiness boost program is called emotional eating the right way, <laughs> because I utterly sometimes do need, you know, something to just eat because it, it does make the, the action of eating makes you feel better. Sometimes that sweetness is what your body's craving. That's fine. There's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And when I had to start, um, incorporating things. Cause that's a big problem. When you're eating the standard American diet, people will say, okay, well, you're having too many carbs. Or you're having too many calories. That's true. But there's also what you're not having. Yeah. There's also the things that you're lacking because you're eating these things or you're, you're heavily restricting yourself to try to diet. I hate the word diet, by the way. I, I will never say that I'm on any kind of diet, even if I, you know, cut something out of my, my nutrition regime. It was, it was tricky to figure out what to eliminate and what I actually it wasn't. It was tricky to figure out how to do it <laughs> because yeah. I, I knew what I needed to do deep down inside. I knew that the things I was doing wasn't healthy, and I wouldn't have listened to anyone, particularly at the time, that would have told me you're kind of doing this to yourself. And if you really yeah. want to get better, you need to stop. You need to take control. And when I finally started feeling in control, I finally started feeling that power again, I could start, you know, really listening to myself, listening to the education that I I'd learned in school, listening to my body when I'd eat something and it would cause me to have a panic attack. I could eat like a, a chocolate brownie and end up getting a panic attack from it because of the high sugar levels, the high caffeine levels in the, in the chocolate that thing, those things could cause panic attacks. So I think that's when I started connecting, really connecting that there was more, uh, there was more to be said about that mind body, uh, connection like that, that what we eat does affect us mentally. I knew it. I knew it from the education at school. I knew it, you know, because we see children, see a kid at a birthday party. I used to do birthday parties. I used to dress up as Elsa and do birthday parties for kids or go to children's hospitals and stuff. And you see these kids eat birthday cake and they would go boing, 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 boing for 30 minutes and then (laughs) plop like flat on their face and be just done and be passed out. So we know intrinsically that these things have an effect on our brains, but then we think that we're somehow immune to it. And that was when I, I, when I started making the changes, when I started cutting out the excess sugar, the excess salt, the processed crap, and I started adding things that were going to serve my body. I started making sure that my nutrient levels were balanced because nutrient deficiencies can cause mental health issues. For sure. Was my depression because of a, a nutrient deficiency? No, but I don't think that that helped it. I think that there's a lot of different factors that lead to uh, mental health issues from 
deficiencies to ex- like life experiences, things that have happened to us. I was sexually assaulted when I was 16. I was abused by a babysitter as a child. I mean, I have plenty of things that I could say this is where it came from. I was bullied growing up in school. So I, c- I could blame it on, on plenty of things. But maybe it's a little bit of all of it. Maybe it's a little bit of this trauma. Maybe it's a little bit of the deficiency. Maybe it's a little bit of my lifestyle. Maybe it's a little bit of my mindset. And that was, that was, I think, the most powerful revelation for me because all this time I'd been saying, well, I'd done everything I could do. I've done yeah. everything I could do. And that was one of the main thoughts I had when I was on that ledge was I kept telling myself, well, I've done everything I could do. I've tried everything I could try. And I had but I hadn't done it consistently and I hadn't done them in tandem with each other. So I do yoga for a little bit and then give up. That didn't fix me. So I try, you know, the therapist and that didn't fix me. And then I'd go on some other binge and journal and that didn't fix me. There wasn't one thing that was going to help me heal from that depression. It was a multitude of things. And that's where, you know, the happiness boost kind of goes over what I call the five puzzle pieces of happiness. Yeah. That are really going to give you the best fighting chance. It's really going to bring you to the top of your own happiness spectrum because everybody experiences happiness differently. Everybody experiences it at different levels. But there's a way, even if you have clinical depression, anxiety issues. I was diagnosed borderline personality. That was my actual uh, diagnosis. Well, my most recent actual diagnosis. Um, no matter what your issues are, there's always a way to live higher on your own happiness spectrum. There's always a way to stack the cards in your favor of living a happy and fulfilling life. And when I say that I'm happy, people get this vision that that must mean that I never cry, that I never struggle, that I never have anxiety anymore, that I never have any kind of stress anymore. I don't know what kind of delusion these people live in to think that that's really a, a reasonable a goal to to chase after because it's not. Are there people that can live like that? Absolutely. There's some monks somewhere, I'm sure, that are in that state of mind. <laughs> I'm not a monk. <laughs> uh, and I, I know that I'm always going to be more susceptible to emotions, to anxiety. Yeah. I mean, my, my best friends in the past few days have had to listen to me cry like a baby because I got in a really big uh, fight with with someone I cared a lot about. And it was very hard for me to deal with that because I'm human, you know, if, if, if right now something happened to my son, despite me being a happy person, I would go through a grieving process and I'd be sad and it would interrupt my life. And I would have to find a way to get through that in as healthy a manner as possible. Happiness isn't just someplace yeah. that you arrive at one day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess people perceive when you when we're talking about depression and we're talking about mental uh, health challenges, people perceive healed as just happy, but it's actually time. just normal. But it's yeah. just normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I I do feel like now it's kind of ironic because I I used to be more depressed than the average person, way more depressed than the average person. I think, but now I'm way happier than the average person. That's a place I never thought I would get to. But now when I see people, especially right now with everything going on, being so negative and being so angry and I watch, I'm watching and I feel so helpless to watch like the suicide rates and the mental health crises just climb and climb and climb during this pandemic. And I'm sitting there thinking, 
there's hope, there's help. It does get better. You can make it better. I promise. I was right where you are. And I want so bad to sing them off that ledge, you know, and it's, it's hard, you know, to watch other people struggle and know that you, you can't save them all. You can't force people. You can't bully people into wanting to heal, nor can you force them into believing that you can help them. But there, there definitely is a million options. If something doesn't work for you, try something else. Try something again. Try it a different way. Try asking someone who's been there. Like you, There's other things that you can keep trying until you find something that works for you. Some people do try medication and that works. Some people do try you know, therapy and that works. But for me, I had to really overhaul my life. And it took a, at least a decade and a half, almost two decades, at least, yeah, of, of being at rock bottom, thinking that I was worthless and hating myself. Completely and utterly hating myself and hitting that rock bottom to really start pulling out. I think it's a, yeah, good mention. Good that you mentioned the suicide rates going up at the minute because you know we're in the middle of whatever the hell's happening. And I and before we jumped on here, I watched one of your YouTube clips, which I really loved. And I think it was the seven tips for motivating yourself to do things you don't like doing. And I think there's a lot of people that have lost. And I've been through phases of of this in the last few weeks as well. And and that's you know people have lost their point of reference for reality. It feels kind of purposeless, like being just locked in your house all of the time. And and it's not really it's not really working from home anymore it's sleeping in the office because everybody's just stuck at you know at their laptop sitting at their desks and so uh, because of how horrible 2020 has played out and none of us expected this um are you able to share maybe two or three things that everyone can do to sort of lift their their spirits a little bit their mental attitude to a place that puts them in a position of power rather than feeling like they're you know missing purpose or that it's all you know it's all bad avec plaisir with pleasure yes i think that it is all about mindset right now because i know you were saying earlier that you know you've been using this time to work out and to get into that routine i've been using this time you know i developed my program i've been working my my book i've been working on um, writing a memoir and there are ways to be productive and thank you for mentioning the, the YouTube video that kind of helps people get motivated. But um, number one, stop dwelling on the state of the world right now, or at least stop dwelling on the state of the world that the news is portraying and zero in on the things that are going good in your life. Zero in on the things to be grateful for. And even if you can't find anything looking for it, they've actually scientifically proven that looking for these things can actually be enough. That just looking for things to be grateful for can be enough. And I know that it might sound crazy when the world is on fire outside our window, but here, right here in my house, I'm safe. Right here, right now, I'm fine. I'm safe. I can find things that make me happy. I can find things that bring me joy. I can find reasons to be grateful. And I can give myself things to look forward to. And that's actually kind of what I've been doing right now uh, is just looking at life after the pandemic. Do I know when it's going to happen? No. And I will be the first to admit that that has really screwed with my anxiety because I'm that type of person that if I get in a place um, where I have heightened anxiety, I really need to know when the situation is going to be over. So if I'm on an airplane, for example, and I start getting anxiety, I can tell myself, okay, in two hours, this is going to be over. 
or, you know, situations like that. But with this, it's like, well, it might be a week from now. It might be a year from now. I don't know. (laughs) But giving myself things to look forward to my, my friend and I, we, we made up, uh, and, and talked things out and we decided to start planning a trip to, uh, Finland because it gives us something to look forward to after this whole train wrecks over. Yep. It gives us something that we can say, Hey, like when this is over, we're going to do this and we're going to have so much fun doing this. And we're going to look back at 2020 and laugh. Um, so I think that's kind of my first point is stop dwelling on the state of the world that the news wants to portray zero in on the gratitude, things good in your life and find things to look forward to. Maybe it's not a trip. Maybe it's just going back to the gym, whatever it is, just find things to look forward to. My second thing is that we're human beings, not human doings, and it's okay to not be swamped. It's okay to not feel like you just need to be doing and doing and doing and doing all day long. We do have our jobs, obviously, but I've had to tell several people that are working from home that it's still okay to set boundaries with your job, with your a boss with your employers because if you don't i have noticed kind of a trend of them saying well you're already at home and you're already by the computer so you can just put an extra few hours you know of work i've heard the and, same things yeah and it is okay to set boundaries with uh with your with your employers because that's not okay for them to take advantage of you during this time but it's okay to take time for yourself right now. It's okay yeah. to not have a mile long to-do list. And I know if you're someone like me, that can be kind of challenging sometimes, but find something that's going to make you happy to do. Like me writing my book, being able to speak and, and help people and give them a different perspective, being able to develop this program, like to help people, being able to spend time with my son, being able to binge watch Lucifer season five premiere next week. Yay! That's, <laughs> that's my thing to look forward to right now. And it's, it's made me excited, but it's just, you know, being able to sit and not feel like you have to go outside yeah. and conquer the world right now. You don't, and it's okay. And I know the same four walls can get kind of boring to look at after a few months, but we can we have the world at our fingertips. We can literally log on to our computers right now and learn a new freaking language. Imagine telling that to ourselves 20 years ago, that we could just literally learn a new language just because we wanted to, just because it was available and free. (laughs) You know, there's, there's many things that, that you could do to make this time more reflective and more relaxing as opposed to, Oh my God, my, my entire world has fallen apart. Yeah, it has. Your whole world has flipped upside down. Now, what kind of new world do you want to create right now? I love that perspective. My last thing. And I think this, this, goes for everyone, but specifically for parents, because I have a nine-year-old son and this homeschooling, because that's what it is. It's not distance learning. It's freaking homeschooling. This homeschooling thing has just been insane because I was not equipped for it. You know, it's not like with most homeschooling situations, you have time to prepare. You have time to look over your your courses or your, your lessons and stuff. You have time to, to figure out, okay, I'm going to homeschool my child let me get the curriculum. Let me look over the curriculum. Let me do it. No, we just got thrown in the middle of it. And, you know, I, I, I do have my business and I do have other things that I was already doing and my, my charity work and stuff. So it was, it was a very big transition, mm-hmm. but it's important to know that being good enough 
is okay. You don't have to be the perfect parent. You don't have to be the perfect employer. You don't even have to be the perfect friend, daughter, wife, whatever. You don't have to be perfect. In times like this, it's okay to just be good enough. It's okay to say, you know what? I fed my kid today. I fed my kid healthy today. My kid and I spent some quality time together and really focusing on what you did good enough. I actually, I started spiraling about this a couple weeks ago. I'm like, oh my God, I'm failing as a parent. My kid, my kid's just going to be crazy. Like he's, he's going to be uneducated and it's going to be like idiocracy. And I, I really had this kind of meltdown in my head of, oh my God, like I'm not being good enough. And then I stopped. I'm like, my nine-year-old can speak a second language because I've helped him with that. My nine-year-old tested out a 40 Duolingo skills the other day because, you know, I've helped him with, with this, this, process of, of learning French, learning French together. It's like he, he, he's a smart kid. And even if he does fall a little bit behind, you know what? It's going to be fine. There are people I actually was talking to uh, someone the other day who told me that their kid had missed a year of school uh, when they were younger because they had gotten very, very sick and they missed an entire year of school. And that kid just recently got a master's degree. So wow. Even if you're one of those people that's on the unschooling train right now, even if you're one of those people that you're feeling insane because you feel like you're not doing enough, um, be it with your kids or with yourself, you don't need to go to the gym and do a whole entire circuit. It's okay to just go for a bike ride. That's good enough. It's okay if your parents will, or if your kids watch a little bit extra TV today. You're still good enough. Look at the ways right now that you can be good enough instead of trying to be perfect. I think those tips are amazing and I think that's exactly what everyone needs. And it's great too that you're a parent. I'm not a parent, but uh, I know a lot of parents are listening. So, it's really good for you to share that. And I think a lot of people will be able to relate. But um, I've really loved having you here on the show. I've loved hanging out. Uh, But so everybody can get a bit more of Amanda Webster, where can they find you online? Because nobody can ever get enough of Amanda Webster. (laughs) (laughs) You can go to my website, uh, amandawebsterhealth.com, where you can learn about the Happiness Boost program. Uh, You can also go to my YouTube channel. I know you were talking about that a minute ago. My most recent video was seven tips on motivating yourself to do the things that you know you need to, but you just don't feel like it. Uh, YouTube.com slash Amanda Webster Health. I've also been doing interviews with different celebrities like Billy Bob Thornton about mental health. And of course, you can follow me on Instagram at Amanda Webster Health. And I know a lot of people are struggling right now. If you are struggling, you need someone to talk to. I get it. I've been there. I'd be happy to listen. Just send me an email, even if it's just to say, I feel like I'm going nuts right now. Um, I, I I would be happy to talk to you uh, through this time because I promise things will get better. You can make them better. We will get through this. Um, and and just just take care of yourself. Just I know that there's there's it, it's hard to know what best to do for yourself, but really just just find that balance right now. Find that balance between taking care of yourself, making sure that you're getting enough nutrients. I mean, remember as kids when we were always told, now remember to take your vitamins. <laughs> I'm going to be that Hulk Hogan type figure right now. It's going to say, take your vitamins, whether <laughs> it's through your food or through a supplement. Make sure that you're taking care of yourself because that's how you're going to come out on top through this quarantine. 
Yeah, wonderful. Thanks so much, Amanda. And for everybody listening, if you've enjoyed this episode or you think a friend or family member might be able to benefit, take a screenshot and share it with them. Tag us on social media, put it in your story. Uh, I'll put all of Amanda's handles and links down in the show notes below. And so to finish up, Amanda, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? I wish that people realize, as we were talking earlier, that there is a very tangible mind-body connection. That's not hippie woo-woo stuff. There is science behind it. That I wish people were more educated about the vagus nerve and about how what we eat does very physically affect our brains. It will affect our anxiety, our, how we handle stress, our depression. I really wish that people would, would see that, would know about that, would learn about that. I wish I would have learned about that in school because we really just aren't taught how to eat for happiness. We're not taught how to eat to help with anxiety, depression, mental health issues. I also wish that more people knew about nutritional yeast because my God, that stuff is like a magic potion and (laughs) I'm vegan. So I tend to, I do tend to run low on B12, but like a tablespoon of, I say a tablespoon made this big, huge uh, emotion. Nobody saw that except you, but (laughs) a tablespoon of nutritional yeast gives you like five, uh, 5-MCG, which is a little over double the RDA of B12, which is huge for mental health. It's huge for making sure that you have uh, your energy levels stay up. So I wish that more people were talking about how awesome nutritional yeast is, especially if you're vegan. Uh, It's a really great way to get in that B12, which will help keep your energy levels up. And that's one of the nutrients that will affect your mental health. So that's my two. uh, Sorry that I cheated the rules there, but that's my two (laughs) things that I really wish people knew about. No, thanks for sharing. And yeah, there's a range of uh, definitely a range of B vitamins that contribute to the state of our mindset and brain. But uh, brilliant. I've loved having you on the show, Amanda. Thanks so much for your time. And I hope we can catch up again soon. Yeah, I love being here. Thank you so much for having me. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.